Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelley Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Garofola. Brian is the CTO at Vibes here in Chicago. Brian is also originally from New York, and he is definitely uh, a real New Yorker because he's a Mets fan. <laughs> you know, I think the Yankees and the Cubs are like not good indicators of where you're from. That's right. That's right. right. Too pop- many people like the Yankees. Right? Yeah. But, well, it's yeah. the same thing with the Cubs. I know one thing. If you're a Sox fan, you're from Chicago. That's right. That's right. right. And if you're a Mets fan, you're from New York. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. So, Brian... Uh, previously, Brian served as the Vice President of Platform Engineering at CDK Global, a uh, global provider of information technology and digital marketing solutions to the automotive retail industry. Uh, he arrived at CDK through the acquisition of Promulus by ADP Dealer Services, now CDK, in 2007, where he was co-founder and chief architect. Promulus was a software consulting firm that worked with the largest privately held auto dealer group to help them increase transparency in the car buying process through the video recording of finance and insurance transactions. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. And it's a mouthful of a bio. So it's, I'll, try, I'll try to shorten it next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's an impressive background. It's all. It's some really interesting stops. We're excited to have you on here today. Yeah. And Brian, if you don't mind, can you share with our listeners a little bit more about Vibes? Sure. Vibes is a... Um, a Mobile marketing technology, uh, born and raised here in Chicago. So this two co-founders uh, started out of a Northwestern incubator uh, just over 20 years ago, actually. And so we're a leading provider of mobile marketing technology to some of the world's leading brands uh, like Home Depot, Redbox, Allstate, Discover, and others. Uh, primarily what we do is text message marketing, mobile wallet push notifications. Uh, so we're doing things like uh, you know Cyber Monday, over 54 million text messages uh, for all sorts of different use cases for all those brands. Um, so I've been with Vibes about two years and uh, really enjoying the experience so far and, and the journey I'm on there. It's, it's such an interesting space, marketing, and how things have changed so much so fast. It's so It moves so fast that like people see like non-digital billboards and they're still impressed that <laughs> people, they're like, oh my goodness, Right, like there's a like my kids' high school. They're like, "Hey, St. Rita's got a billboard up," and it's like, "If eh, you understand how cheap that is now, <laughs> right?" Like, because yeah, it's not really a big part of most people's spend. Where, you know, the, the mobile marketing and, and text messaging and those types of very personalized marketing is, is such a big part. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting though space. I mean, you know, Jack and Alex started the company, and their thesis was that at, at the time, this is '98 that wireless at the time, we didn't call it mobile then, wireless and marketing were going to intersect. And the same thesis is true, still true, right? We still call it, we call it mobile. Um, but, you know, they sent their first mobile marketing message in the year 2000 for to pagers for Pizza Hut. So if wow. you have a pager, you can get a, get a code sent to your pager, show up to a Pizza Hut, get half off a pizza, right? So the technology's evolved, but, you know, the use case and the and effectiveness is still the same. We're just doing it at, at a substantially larger scale than ever now. So for some of the world's biggest brands. I'm dying to know what some of those pager 
marketing messages. Oh. <laughs> I mean, how many characters did you have yeah, to play that's with? You that's know? right. That's right. We still don't have a lot to play with, right? We're still working with, uh, you know, 140 characters yeah. or so in, a, in an SMS if you want to be effective. So, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, one of my early jobs was at Motorola and, and Pagers were just such a big part of, mm. you know, yeah. like a, a brand thing. Right. A status thing, how many pagers you had, like indicated your rank at Motorola, <laughs> right? Like he's got three razors and four pagers. He's like a general. Nice. Yes, general. Let's run the company. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He owns it. So that's <laughs> uh, really cool. So uh, I know when we talked earlier, you talked about some of the uh, the big transitions, even though, you know, your organization's obviously been around for a while, right? I think a lot of people here in Chicago still look at it as very, you know, technology first, which separates it from a lot of the other organizations, right? Mm -hmm. So sure. a lot of the Chicago's big town with a lot of organizations with, with a, a long, you know, 50, 60 years of experience. Right. And so, you know, I, I'm interested to see, like, or talk more about, like, what you see is what's critical for your organization, right, technologically speaking, to it for it to continue to evolve and to grow. Yeah, you know, I think it really comes down to it's kind of the classic, you know, and, and uh, rest in peace to Clay Christensen. But, you know, it's the innovator's dilemma, right? We have 20 years of history. We've been doing a lot of different things. How do we continue to innovate for our customer base with that rich history, right? With that customers that expect something maybe that we did five years ago. You know, we're not, we weren't born in the cloud, right? And actually, it's something that we've gone through the last two years since I've been there as a, as a wholesale cloud migration, because the company had history, you know, when, when built data centers, when that's when people, what people did, right? So um, I think that's really the challenge. We're not a huge company or not a, a, a laboring company, like maybe a big enterprise you might think of. But with 20 years of history, we still carry that. How do we carry that debt and then innovate for our customers and, you know, also support the, the use cases, you know, 16 years of, of doing business with U.S. Cellular, right? How do we support those use cases and then figure out what's next and, I think the company's done a phenomenal job of doing that through the 20 years, and, and hopefully I'm uh, carrying the torch, uh, you know, well for, for Jack and Alex to continue to do that as we look forward. Well, I, I got to ask, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with Gary V. <laughs> okay. Right? And I need to know, like, you're, you're like, this is your business, right? right. Like, so, like, I'm, I'm a little bit on the outside when it comes to the marketing tech and strategy yeah. and that kind of thing. Is that, do you guys love what he's doing? Do you, do you think Yeah, you know, I mean... Hey, listen, anytime Gary Vee says to marketers, if you're not doing text message marketing, you're missing out. Yeah. I love to hear that, right? right. So, so, yeah, when he says things that support vibes, I absolutely love what he's doing. Now, I think I do think Gary, uh, he tends to connect to, you know, smaller brands. I mean, I think a lot of people listen to him. But I think when you get to the brands that vibes kind of targets, it's hard to maybe run the Gary Vee playbook if you're the CMO at Home Depot, right, as an example, right? But certainly is an innovator in the things he's done. And he said he just recently, I think it was less than six months ago, we had one of his videos on LinkedIn and he just went on one of his rants about how effective text message marketing is, right? And, and uh, you know, I certainly uh, reposted that a number of times to remind brands, you know, you, you know we, we, we run the stat, you know, 98% of text messages are viewed, which... I'd argue it's probably 100% because, I mean, for the listeners out there, if you look at your phone right now, how many unread text messages do you have? Maybe one or two. How many unread emails do you have, right? And the other thing we see is text messaging, it's incredible timely response. So 90 seconds is usually like the response we see. So we've had some brands when they first come on board, they send out a text message broadcast to a million people. 
with a link back to their website and they've crashed their website because the response is so immediate compared to email or kind of just dribbles in, right? You landed in the inbox at four or 5 a.m. and people get it or try to pick a specific time and people see it over a course of days. Text message drives such a huge immediate response. That's why it's really effective for a brand like a Chipotle or Potbelly's that we work with. You know, if they want to drive a lunch crowd, 1115, and they're hitting people with text message marketing, people are seeing it and go, oh, yeah, a burrito does sound good for lunch today, right? So <laughs> uh, so that timeliness, uh, and, and that's what Gary Vee talked about a little bit too, right? It's the, the reach and the timeliness are really important aspects of it. That's so interesting. Yeah, he's been on, he's been on that text thing mm-hmm. for a while, yep. right? Like at least a year now. Yep, exactly. Right? Uh, and so... And I, I, I'm, I, I do it, uh, sandwich place by my house. Right? Like, hey, you know, double the points if you're coming for lunch today. That's right. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing, but I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> right? That's right. I'm sorry, Sherry, I cut you off. What did you have to, what was your No, question? no, I just find it very fascinating because it's it's huge in the recruiting space now as well. And I couldn't help but notice on Brian's LinkedIn profile, he's got right in his headline, you know, we're hiring, text this code to find out more. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's just using our platform, right? And you text in there and, you know, it just in that case, it just gives you a link back to our career site and kind of drives you there. But it gives you a little bit of a taste of our product and kind of what we do for brands, right? You know, and differentiates so, too. Yeah, just a little, just simple use cases, right? And uh, rather than, hey, go type this link in, it's text us in and, and, you know, you get some information back. And then, you know, we occasionally broadcast some information out to that uh, those subscribers, right? So. I, so I'm interested. Like, when, I know people can say, I don't want to get this anymore, right? They just reply no, that kind of thing. Yeah, reply stop, right? I mean, yeah. You reply stop and you're out. And I think the difference between it, uh, text message marketing and email is text message marketing is so regulated by the carriers, right? I mean, no one's regulating email, right? There was the can spam act, but didn't really have teeth, right? You know, the carriers regulate, especially in the short code ecosystem, the carriers regulate it. Each short code, if you want to get a short code, you apply with the carriers, specify your use case, and they shut spam down really fast. So it's really clean. Um, lists are clean. You know, there are some lawsuits that have been out there um, because there are trolls in the, you know, the that are that are looking to try to catch people, trick people into doing the wrong thing, perhaps. Um, you know, being a leader in this space, we focus a lot on compliance, keeping brands compliant. Um, but again, when you stay compliant with the cleanliness and kind of the carrier regulation of it makes for a really clean, very little spam. Whenever you get spam, you'll see it's from a long code. And it's probably somebody doing something through Twilio, right? Twilio is just a, a spam cannon of long codes, right? So uh, we focus primarily on short codes and, and, and the short code ecosystem is a really clean ecosystem that, that, you know, is, is why it's an effective mechanism and it's easy to opt out, stop, boom, you're out. And any platform that doesn't support that, it's not going to be in business very long. So, Wow. You, you mentioned a couple of them. You know, what are some of the other really interesting projects? What are some of the other ways that you're like taking these brands and helping them, you know, explode into like the super responsive environment? Yeah. You know, I think uh, a couple of examples. One of them is um, Polo factory store. So they don't have an e-commerce footprint, obviously the factory store and outlet store. Right. Uh, so it's really about driving foot traffic. So they use text message marketing, and then they couple it with our with mobile wallet. So that's another big offering. We, we do a lot of mobile wallet loyalty passes and offers that go to land in Apple Wallet or in the Google Wallet and Google Pay ecosystem. And that's a really effective mechanism of reminding people they're there, 
The pass gets added to your mobile wallet. You're able to have reminders, uh, expiration reminders in that offer. You walk in, you bring that pass up, you scan it in store, and you get your discount. And so really kind of bridging that uh, a digital and physical experience. I mean, that's the unique thing about mobile. It is, it is that convergence of physical and digital, right? How many times have you stood in the aisle of a store and shopped for the same item to see if you got to get a better price on Amazon, right? People do that. It's that, it's a, that bridge. And so mobile wallet is a really great means to you know, drive that physical, that redemption, right? So we kind of say messaging drives experiences, which drives transactions. And the transactions are, are realized through that redemption of that in, in-store mobile wallet scan. And we also do uh, loyalty cards in mobile wallets. So Lego is a, is a customer of ours and Lego has a digital VIP program and you can have a Lego black card. And yeah, it's a whole, whole culture of Lego fans out there. And um, if you're a friend of Lego, you can get a sticker on your card. And this all used to be physical. And we've been working with them and their loyalty platform to digitize all of that. And so now that exists in your mobile wallet now. And your points are updated. Uh, you know, for Star Wars Day, they can update the strip image on the pass. Um, they can send messages to it. They can, you know, send you notifications. They can remind you about special events. So that mobile wallet becomes a really powerful marketing channel that we're just really seeing a tipping point of brands starting to use. And we've been at the, the forefront of that. We actually launched mobile wallet the same day that Apple launched Passbook. Right? Oh, really? So we were an early player in the early, uh, early launch program with Apple. So we've been a leader in that space with the adoption of boarding passes in the mobile wallet, with the adoption of Apple Pay. And that's really driving people to be in their mobile wallet and their phone a lot more. And so we're seeing a huge uptake of, of that, those use cases. So it's really interesting. You know, we're one of a, a small set of players in that space right now. So we really definitely have this kind of pole position. And um, I'm excited for what 2020 is going to bring, especially around things like near field communications, NFC, right? So the, you know, tap and, and you know, get your points. Don't worry about finding your loyalty card on your keys, right? Just tap your phone. You can pay and get your points all in one shot, right? So That's some interesting crazy. things. Yeah, we also did some fun work with uh, Chipotle during the NBA Finals. So Chipotle didn't want to sponsor the NBA Finals, but they wanted to to partake in the event. So they uh, on Twitter, their social team. That seems like a financially better approach. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the NBA wasn't super excited. I would imagine it. not. Um, um, and Taco Bell was a big sponsor of the NBA Finals. Come so it's on, kind is of that interesting. True? <laughs> yeah, so, so. Oh my God, that's awesome. Um, I love this story more. You all, and yeah, and all the executives at Chipotle were the former executives, former CEO and CMO at Taco Bell. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But what they did was they said anytime the announcer said, the broadcaster said free, they would tweet out a keyword, right? So free and then some code. And if you were one of the first 50, 100, 500 people to text that in, to their short code, which is 888-222, you would win a free burrito or free entree, and we would deliver that free uh, pass via mobile wallet. And that's interesting. Use interesting part of our platform. That's our uh, our contest engine, which we've used forever with radio stations running the text to win keywords. You know, you know, text today's keyword is podcast. Text that in. So we've done radio station business for years, and so Chipotle want to use that uh, part of our platform. And they had a huge, huge, huge just response to it. Um, they gave away a million dollars worth of free burritos and entrees. And it was interesting because we run single time, you know, one time use codes in these wallet passes. And people were tweeting that I won. 
And then other people were writing down the code or, or they were tweeting the link, which right. gave them a pass to the mobile wallet. Other people were getting to that link, getting their pass, scanning it. And as soon as you scan it, it closes the loop in our system and we invalidate the pass. Right. And so people are like, oh, my pass is used. Well, don't put it on Twitter. <laughs> Social engineering yeah. is always your problem with so, security. Yeah. Really interesting use case of of kind of kind of omni-channel crossing social into text message, right? Then you're acquiring people into the text message marketing list. And um, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a really interesting tech challenge as well, right? I mean, we normally do a lot of uh outbound text messaging and we'll do it at scale of, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand a second at sometimes. But this was a, a new burst of incoming traffic that we hadn't kind of seen that sort of incoming traffic before, right? Wow. So now you've got, they're tweeting it out to millions of people. Some subset of that are trying to text that keyword in as fast as they possibly can. And so our systems are trying to respond, serialize all that traffic and figure out who the winners are, right? Uh, so it's a really challenging uh, uh, project and, or program that they had ran we were online, we had just finished a migration AWS. So we're online just like bringing capacity online in AWS and, you know, scaling as fast as we can, right? To kind of catch up to these, these traffic. And then we have people tweeting that I haven't gotten a response yet. Is this real? Because our systems are lagging in that response, trying to determine the winners until we added enough capacity to keep up. So gotcha. um, super interesting, fun technical challenge, a really interesting use case of our platform. Um, you know, really creative program that really engaged people. So that was a, a really fun program that that uh, that Chipotle ran. So wow, like, how do you guys do? You guys, when it comes to like a marketing, like your engagement with a client, you know, is it is it like the old days of marketing spend? Like, you're going to give me a certain amount of money, or because it seems like there's such an opportunity here for like a performance based kind of payment structure. Of yeah, like, <laughs> we, we're getting real value. This isn't like putting up a billboard, and I, you know with some code that you call and you might put in the code, but you know, they're not going to remember. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, one brand um, that I won't name, they, they do the text message to mobile wallet and, um, and then that scans at their point of sale. And then they give us the close with attribution back. So we know what sort of, you know, total revenue they're generating and their 2019 mobile attributed revenue through that model was $400 million. Oh my God. Right. Wow. Now, Vibes is not a big company that has a lot more revenue than we generate in our business, right? <laughs> um, so there certainly is opportunity. We do not price that way. You know, we sell a, a, a you know, a SaaS product, software license. You buy our uh, license to our platform. Um, and the pricing model is, you know, software license plus usage, right? Correct. So per, per message, if you will. And so, and then kind of an optional, a few other options, optional things, but that's the primary way. So yeah, if you're, you know, if you're driving lots of, uh, you know, value and you're paying, you know, some, you know, relatively menial charge to vibes for substantial, you know, upside, right? So we've toyed with the idea of, of performance-based, um, you know, puts us at some risk too, because yeah. if the brand just decides to not do anything, right? You yeah. Know, so. Or if their messaging's terrible or their, their product's just right. Not. I think it's like we would we would do it if we were in control and not really the model we want. You know, we want to sell a we want to scale a SaaS business that oh. says buy our product and use it. It'll be really effective for you. Not we don't want to be an agency, right? Yeah. So so if we're doing more agency model, which was a little bit of vibes history, to a little bit more agency esque uh um model where we might run the programs for people, that might have worked in the past. I don't think it's something we want in the future, but 
certainly is opportunity there when you see, you know, we, we, we took our top 10 customers that generate that we had attributed revenue attribution for, and it was just short of a billion dollars in 2019. So, and that's just just driving that's top line. That's not speaking margin and all factors like that, but it's still, still huge. I mean, it's still the, the, the channels work and that's text message to mobile wallet or text message to e-commerce and then tracking that via some tags that we have, that we can put on on our brand's websites. Awesome stuff. Yeah, so totally different topic, but Brian, I couldn't help but notice all the accolades that you've been given from people that you've previously worked with to the extent that, and I'm going to quote here, it says, throughout the entire process, he's as upbeat and positive as you could imagine, somehow spreading that enthusiasm to even the most bored and pessimistic programmers or designers. Um, That's saying something right there. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, it really is saying something. So I would love to know, you know, what your leadership style is. I always tell people like, you know, optimism is a choice, right? I'm certainly an optimistic person by nature, but, you know, I make a choice. We have, we have this cool, you come, if you ever come to the Vibes office, we're on the seventh floor, 300 West Adams, and you get off the elevators and there's a glass bridge that it goes across like the center center area there, right? And it's an old uh, architect's office, right? So that's why. And my take is when I walk across that bridge, right, I get into, you know, optimism mode, right? I think that I learned as I kind of scaled in leadership that it wasn't the things I said, it was my actions that were people, people were watching, right? And so, you know, if I walked in the office, um, you know, really down and out, really pissed off because my kids were being a pain in the butt, right? And which happens most days. That had an effect. I, I started to learn that that had an effect on morale over time, right? One day is one thing, but if I'm consistently negative, if I'm, you know, at CDK, I was there through some um, some really interesting times where we spun out of ADP into CDK, uh, went through a new executive leadership change. Um, we went through some layoffs, very typical things that companies go through. And uh, if I would have walked in every day saying, man, this sucks, I started to realize people were taking on that, right? And I think that was a, a big lesson for me about, you know, most of us in our work aren't curing cancer, right? Um, you know, I'm sending some text messages. It's important work. Uh, we employ a lot of people. We help people get good deals, right? Uh, but we're not curing cancer. And so keeping that in perspective, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a very conscious choice of carrying myself that way, right, is what it comes down to. You know, as far as, um, you know, further leadership style, it's just like, you know, really trying to build relationships with people. So, you know, when I started at Vibes, you know, I met with, you know, it was about 180 people in the company. I met with over 100 of them one-on-one in the first 90 days. It was like a really commitment to like, you know, I just want to know people here and I want them to know me, right? And so I'm really open, you know. People know my calendar's open. Anybody can see what I'm doing, where I am. People know my kids' names. People know my wife, right? So just really trying to be open. And then, you know, I do have to make decisions sometimes that people don't love, right? But I think when I make those decisions, they know it's coming from a place of kind of genuineness and, you know, what I believe is maybe best for the greater business. So, yeah, I think that that certainly, I, I love that quote. I think that was from, uh, from Derek. Um, but yeah. I've, I've heard that a number of times, like, you know, and I think it's just, like I said, it's, yes, it's a certain part of my personality, but it's really intentional to be upbeat, to be optimistic, 
to find the options that, you know, when seemingly a, a challenging situation, well, there's, there's a bright side somewhere, let's find it. So, you know, I think leadership so much starts with that, right? You can read a lot of books, but it boils down to some pretty simple things oftentimes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. And I know a lot of the guests that we've had on the show um, have a great deal of, of mentors around them. I'm curious if you have a, a mentor that comes to mind when you think about how you've evolved from a leadership perspective over the years. Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, you know, if he's out there listening, definitely, uh, 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 well, I call him a friend now, but uh, Andrew Trainer, who is uh, was formerly the CTO at Pampered Chef, is now the CEO there, or is the incoming CEO. You know, uh, he was actually, he and I moved to Chicago the same weekends. We were with ADP at the time uh, to start building out a software development team in their Hoffman Estates headquarters. Um, he was my boss. He was a divisional vice president. I was director at the time. He really taught me about leading at scale. You know, he, he really taught me about, you know, building a culture, right? You know, what does it take to actually build a culture? I mean, we had no team there, right? So it was kind of blank slate. It was a corporate headquarters with the corporate executives and salespeople, but there was no software engineering. So it was an opportunity to create a brand for software engineering for ADP in this market. Uh, and I really learned a lot about that brand and, and creating that brand and leading at scale and being executive leader. And he was hard on me. He's a six foot five Australian guy. Um, but I think also go back, you know, no matter how hard on me he was, it started from, I always knew he cared. And so I think that was like a big lesson. It's like, he cares about me. And when he's got me in the office closed and he's pissed off, it's because he knows I can do better and he expects better and he wants better out of me. Not because he thinks I suck. Right. And I think that was a, a, a you know, he was a huge impact on my career and another person, you know, a couple other, uh, uh, I consider friends now as well as um, you know, Jeff Trailer. He's a now the central area head of solutions architecture for the central area for Amazon Web Services. And he was a former VP at CDK for a number of years uh, in the IT space and hosting space. And he, he was another very similar to Andrew. You know, you know, I didn't report to Jeff, and so that was a different relationship. But I really felt like without saying I'm gonna I'm gonna mentor you without say I'm going to take you under my wing. It felt like he did that. And he was hard on me. He would call me out when, you know, I was not acting right. And, uh, you know, um, another guy, Shane Martinez, who's uh, at uh, also at AWS now, was at CDK. It was the same way. Oh, I know Shane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Shane's a, Shane's become a good friend. And he was, he reported to Jeff and I reported to Andrew and Andrew and Jeff were peers. And so that, that little group of people um, were really a big influence on me. And, and, they helped me sharpen my skills as an executive leader and, a, and more as a senior leader. And I was always had some some maybe innate leadership skills coming from my days as a you know college athlete and and those things. But and, and running a small business. But then when you get into the scale of these businesses, there's there's a lot more hard skills to learn. I felt like I really learned them from that. Um, but I also think I was really shaped by by people that reported to me, right? I actually had lunch with uh, somebody today. His name's John Asermali. He's the VP of product and technology at DocuSign for the mortgage and real estate division out in Warrenville here. Um, somebody you should think about maybe having on the show sometime. And I hired him back when I lived in Rhode Island. Um, he moved to Chicago as well. 
uh, he only reported to me for a little bit of time and then, uh, and then he became kind of more of a peer, but he was a great influence on me. It was just somebody that we were going through a lot of the same things together, kind of learning together more, you know, less than we were mentoring each other, mm. uh, you know, we're kind of mentoring each other, I guess, as we went and as we learned and, you know, he's doing phenomenally over at DocuSign now and, and, uh, so this is some of the names. I mean, it's probably a long list of people. You know, the people that brought me into ADP, a guy named Joe Beaner um, and Dean Bergen were the guys that kind of did the deal with bringing my company and folding it into into ADP at the time, which was like a tiny, tiny, tiny deal. But you know, they were really passionate about me and and getting me on board, right? And I think they they made that really clear, and I learned a lot from them through the years as well. So that's great. Thank you. Sure, it's a great question, Shelley. And there is such a commonality of people's success and how it really is so wired to the help of others, helping yeah. others, but also being open, right? Like having an open mindset of like, I don't know everything, right? Uh, and I, I see that, I think, as, you know, maybe when we were younger, maybe we weren't as open to, to other people's ideas, but it, it's, it's, it is really interesting to me. Um, we just had somebody on the other day, and like, it's a CEO of a very successful startup here in Chicago, Logic Gate. Mm -hmm. They're doing great. Sure. And he was he, he was like a proud dad about like the people on his board of directors, mm. right? Because they're like, look at these people. Why are they with? Why are they helping me? Why are they spending time with me? And it, uh, I think it's when you can appreciate that is when you're really going to take that to the next level. Yeah. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, it's funny because I have this book in my hand that I'm, that I'm currently halfway through. It's called Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps by a, a woman named Jennifer Garvey Berger. It's, you know, the subtitle is How to Thrive in Complexity. And uh, I think we certainly work in a complex world. And, and kind of the, the mind traps that she talks about is, is, I think it's interesting, you know, trapped by rightness, right? Trapped by control, trapped by ego, right? I think, you know, realizing you can't have control and realizing that just just being right is not the goal, right? And how do you explore other options? And so, you know, I certainly have been learning that as I go, but I, I really am enjoying this book that um, you know, has helped me peel back some more layers of, you know, trapped by agreement. Like that seems like, well, how are we, we can be trapped by agreement. Does everybody go into a meeting so we get agreement and alignment? But kind of she talks about in the book, like, well, it, oftentimes by agreeing, we reduce the options to some, mediocre option that everybody can agree on rather than having more of the debate about like which is truly the best option right so being trapped by wanting to agree and it feels good to us that we agreed doesn't actually get us the best outcome for the business it actually takes options away right mm. it reduces us from two or three options to like i said one mediocre one when the better solution would be to continue not get trapped by that agreement you know, think we we escape too easily feeling good about ourselves. So it's really challenge ourselves. I think there's one better option here that we should go and 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 test that, take that path, right? So, you know, and certainly, like I said, that the the idea of being trapped by rightness can imagine all the problems with that. But it's really an interesting book, and and uh, you know, one of those deeper thinking books that uh, you know it, really it didn't really, look that thick. Either. No, it is not. You know, and it's funny because the the reason it's a Stanford brief, so. And, and the reason that she wrote it was that, you know, she says she was at a party in Seattle 
And friends of her had come up to her and said, if there's one thing I learned from your books on complexity, it's that I'm not smart enough to understand complexity. <laughs> and, and she said, well, I haven't done my job very well. So challenge accepted. I'm going to write a book that distills these things into a more digestible form, right? And so uh, I just started with the digestible form. Um, I, you know, the thing is, I think most books should be that size. Right. But they feel like they've got to like have 320 pages or you can't justify the 1250 yeah, on exactly. Amazon, right? Where it's like, I don't need the fluff. Yeah. Right? I'll pay more for sure. Notes. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> right. I love it. I'd pay more if it was less. I forget there's a famous story, but I, I forget which general in Civil War he wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln. The last sentence was, I apologize for the length of this letter. If I had more time, it'd be shorter. Nice. <laughs> so. so, yeah, I think, um, I said those influences and 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 through the years and then just kind of you know i i think really challenging myself to 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 can i get better you can get better a leader and i think sometimes some leaders stop getting better and that was the other thing i probably learned from from that crew of people that i mentioned is like don't stop getting better as a leader you know you haven't made it anywhere <laughs> you're just continuing on the journey right so yeah i'd love to get your reaction like i always use this concept of like when I started out trying to be a leader, right, lead a team, you know, and sure. you're like, well, you don't realize how bad you're at it. And, like, one of the things that was crystal to me after being bad at it for so long was I thought caring was all that was required, right? Like, I care. I want these guys to win. I want I want this team to win. I want to be successful. I want them to be successful. And I realized that's not enough, right? Yeah. That's just table stakes sure right like that's the beginning that's not the end state yeah did you ever have any thoughts you know like that as you were going through those learning stages of becoming a better leader yeah you know i think it i think it was definitely for me um there was i i, I can't even pinpoint it but there's certainly a point in my career where i had to get over you know the desire to be liked by everyone mm. right and and it was my job isn't to be liked you know my job is to create a successful group or organization or team. And I want to do that in a way that, you know, I certainly would want to be liked. That's nice, right. but that's not the primary objective. And I think that that became uh, clear to me probably at some point in CDK when my organization was sizable enough, you know, at some, at one point in CDK, I was leading upwards of 300 people. And when you're doing 300 people are not going to like you, right. You know, there's a, probably some percentage of them that just assume I'm terrible at my job and they could do a better job, right? It's kind of the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, if you will, of, yeah. Um, and so realizing that and then still carrying myself with the confidence that I'm good at this, but I can be better. I think that's a, uh, that was a moment, you know, that I think I went through at some, and again, I can't pinpoint a specific time. I just know it was a transition. And, and now again, I still, I still want to be liked that that is desirable um but my objective you know and my remit to jack and alex and, and you know it's, it vibes is to it's to drive and grow the company right not be liked by everybody in the company right, right. i think there's a way to to be able to do both but i want to be respected right you know um and i want to be trusted right uh and and being liked is also nice but i think that there's a way if the trust exists then conflict can exist and then people might not always like me when there's conflict, but they trust me and 
they'll you know work towards those you know those those longer range goals so it's a balance though i certainly feel myself you know the, the classic kind of kim scott radical candor comes to mind right and i think if anything you know if i were to fall into a quadrant i fall into the ruinously empathetic right i get a little too nice and i'll pull my punches and i have to like drag myself back to you know no i care about you pat but your work on this project sucked right <laughs> you know so um <laughs> So I, I, yeah, it's just a, it's a challenge for me, and I got to constantly remind myself of it. I think we all need to be reminded of that. Um, and I love that you brought up trust because that's exactly what you did in the first ninety days and meeting with those hundred people is is building that trust. Yeah, I agree. I told my my our head of talent, our new head of talent, Shauna Volmer, and I said, you know, she said something to me one day, and I said, you know what? She said, our CTO, blah 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 blah, right? And I said. Our CTO is a flawed individual who makes mistakes <laughs> and therefore <laughs> I'm changing my mind. Right. And she's like, you know, so it's kind of an interesting. And I think that that was a good moment for us because she's like, oh, you're admitting you were wrong. OK, well, that's cool. Right. And kind of that built up some trust between her and I. And, and uh, you know, now we have a really great relationship. And, you know, it's like, you know, you need to be able to work with my talent partner to move, move the needle forward in the organization. So that's awesome. She's also from New York, isn't she? Shauna is Boston. She's from Boston. Yeah, she went to school in Canada, like though, didn't she? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. She did. Do you I know Shauna? I met with her one time, okay. yeah. yeah. So I, was, I saw her background. I'm like, are you Canadian? She's like, no. Yeah, no, she doesn't sound like she's from Boston either, but, you know, she is. No. I think she was born in Boston. She spent some time, or she has some family in Colorado, lives in Chicago, so she's all over. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was, you know, when you were telling that story about meeting that many people in, in that first time frame, strategically, I mean, this is what I think some people don't understand. Like, that's a strategic decision for you, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When yeah. when you're engaged, you're like, okay, so how am I onboarding? How am I creating my personality? How am I creating my, my interactions? Strategically, especially for technologists, I think more often than not, we've got to show some value on a project. We've got to move the needle. We've got to take a project that's not doing well, right? really demonstrate her technical chops right. and like, you yeah. know, deliver something. Right, right. And so I find it very interesting, the strategic plan of building that goodwill, putting a lot of goodwill into a lot of bank accounts in your office, yeah. building up trust, letting people get to know you, right? And understanding, understanding, and this is, I, I, I think it's awesome, is just simply that is something that has such a long tail from a reinvestment standpoint of like, this is what's going to carry us forward. Yep. Yeah. And it's exhausting. I mean, you know, it is exhausting. You want to give each of those people who are getting 30 minutes of my time. Right. But the person who got the three o'clock time slot on a Thursday, <laughs> I mean, I had to really push to give them that 30 minutes. Right. And be there with them versus, you know, just like, ah, uh, so what do you do? Right. So, um, so yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely an investment. It's absolutely very intentional. Um, but I even told Jack that's what I was going to do when I came in the first 90 days. You know, part of my interview process is a classic kind of 30, 60, 90-day plan. I'm like, I just got to learn to meet the people. Right? Oh. And I learn the business, right? I, I think a lot of technology leaders overestimate, at, at any sufficient scale, they overestimate their ability to really impact the technical project because it's usually not the technology it's the communication structures. It's the culture. That's why something's going slow, right? It's not because somebody couldn't figure out how to use Kafka, 
right? I was going to say right. Kafka. I don't know why. But the, that, that, what was the latest buzzword? That's a hard problem. Right. Right. So um, it's rarely the case, right? So I wasn't going to come in with this deep technology knowledge and say, oh, well, that's easy. You just, you know, have to type this code in here and then everything will work and suddenly the project unclogs, right? It's like the, it's communication structures. It's how decisions are made. It's how work flows. It's all of those things are what I spent time unpacking, right? And I think I, you know, I'm still unpacking some of that organizational debt, right? Um, so, you know, we moved certain things forward um, quickly and there was a whole bunch of other things. I think that's the other thing I've told a lot of people to ask me, what'd you learn as a CTO? You know, as a first time CTO and it's, everything just moves slower than you want, right? And you can wish it to happen faster, but things will play out slower than you want. Don't get impatient. Just know they're going to be slower. If you're anxious, that's good. You're pushing yourselves, but it's going to play out slower because what you're doing is not, like say, you're not really impacting technology in this job. Certainly, uh, there's a lot of technology impact. You're you're impacting the, the culture, right? And you're impacting the communication structures and you're impacting the decision-making processes and, and the ways of working, right? And those are the things that take a little longer and, and they're more emergent than they are immediate, right? Yeah, the human engineering. Yes, absolutely. the human side. That's what I am now—a human engineer. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, I think we could keep this going for at least sure. another three, four days. Right? Yeah, I could go forever. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I got to let you go and get back to you know all the important things you've got going on over there at Vibe. So, I wanted to you know thank you for taking the time to to join us, share your knowledge and experience with our with our listeners. Uh, really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me and, uh, you know, definitely look forward to making it back here again sometime on some, uh, some topics. It's been great. Awesome. Awesome. We also wanted to thank you, our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.